our next commandment. We've been studying the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at this morning that life is sacred. Last week, we dealt with the Fifth Commandment and the Seventh Commandment, the Fifth Commandment being honoring your mom and your dad, the Seventh being not committing adultery, and we put all that up underneath of the biblical family. But this morning, we're going to deal with life. We're going to deal with life. Exodus 20 and 13 simply says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence this here. God, this place was soaked with your anointing last night, and that same anointing has been here, and I thank you for that. It makes my job, what you've called me to do this morning, easy, and I pray, Lord, that my words are not my words, but that your, your words. Lord, and as we started this, that these commandments, they do two things. They reveal our sin, and then they instruct us in righteousness. And this morning, Lord, if this reveals someone's sin, if your Holy Spirit convicts, I pray, God, that people will come and kneel in this altar, God, and repent of their sin. Lord, and you're, you stand ready to forgive and restore. And we're thankful for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The shortest commandment. This is the shortest commandment in the original Hebrew. It consisted of only two words, no murder. It is the most agreed upon commandment. Everyone, no matter what, agrees that we should not murder. If you look at your outline, it says a few translations, including the King James Version, state this commandment as, thou shall not kill. However, most translations read murder rather than kill. The definition of murder is the unlawful killing of another human being without justification or valid excuse, and especially with malice. Malice is defined as desire to see others suffer or without excuse. We will see in the scriptures many times when killing of another human being was allowed, but there was justification, and it was never with malice. However, in our society today, the incidents of murder are ever increasing. There seems to be little to no value in human life. This is fueled mostly by the lack of a biblical worldview concerning life who gives it, when it begins, and who can take it. When we come to Christ and believe that all mankind are image bearers of God and have worth, it begins to shift how we view life. Murder, we see it. We see it play out on our TV screens. I think I saw on the news recently that the homicide rate in Philadelphia is already much higher than it was this time last year, and they had a record high, unfortunately, right here in our own city. We had a record high homicide rate last year, and we're already on pace to beat that. So it is constant, and it seems to be ever increasing. Why is that? And people have all kinds of reasoning. They look for all types of uh, programs that can maybe influence that. But what is it about us that will cause us to kill another human being? First of all, I think it's important that we understand why life is sacred. Why is life sacred? First and foremost, it's because humans are created in the image of God. We are created in the very image of God. Genesis 1.26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God made us in his image. We are image bearers of God. I like the way Michael Heiser put it in his book. Many times when we're looking and you ask someone, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? They will typically go right to abilities. 
They'll say, well, we can reason, we can think, we have a conscience, we have a soul. We start kind of uh, thinking of things that are similar to some of the attributes of God. And that is somewhat true. But here's what Michael Heiser said in his book, The Unseen Realm. He said, look at image bearers, not in terms of ability, but status. We were created by God to go out and be his ambassadors in the world. We were to reflect his glory. I did a sermon here a few months ago, I think it was, on the glory of God. And as Pentecostals, we're always looking for that to be some event. And the glory of God is many things, but one of the things that the glory of God, he wants the way he wants to reflect his glory in the world is through his creation. And that's through me and through you and every person. Look at the person to the left of you for a minute. Now look at them. You look at them. Now look at the person to the right. What you just looked at is a very image bearer of God. They bear God's image. This is the way uh, John Piper says it. If you create an image, if you make a sculpture of someone, you do it to display something about that someone. You put it in the square in the middle of town, and you want people to look at it. Notice it. Think about that person. Think about them. That they were noble or strong or wise or courageous or something. Now, what would it mean if you created seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? It would mean you want people to notice you. God created us in his image so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. But something happened at the fall. Something happened at the fall. The image of God is placed in us. It was not destroyed, but it was defaced. In that same saying, John Piper says, the fall did not destroy man being made in the image of God, but it did deface it. It did deface it. But how many of you know that the Bible says when we come to the Lord, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we come into his presence, when we come and repent of his sin, that image is fully restored. Colossians 3 and 10. Paul says this, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We come to the Lord. It's been defaced. Sin has defaced that. It hasn't destroyed it. We come to the Lord. That image of God, that glory of God is restored. And we go out and we display that. We are created in the image of God. Oftentimes people will, you've probably heard this out in the popular culture when they talk about, and what they're talking about is all humans having dignity and worth. And they all do. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But what they'll say to prove that point is they'll say, because we're all children of God. We're all children of God. That is not a biblical statement. That is not a biblical truth. We're not all children of God. The reason, because John 1 and 12 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, those who believe in his name. We believe in the spirit of sonship. In other words, you come to the Lord and you get adopted into his family. If you're not in his family this morning, he wants you in his family. He wants you to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. He paid a heavy price for that. And that's who God's children are. But what the people are trying to say and what they're said is true is because of Genesis 1 and 26, not because of everybody's children of God. 
Because everyone is an image bearer of God, they're worthy of dignity and respect and not to be mistreated, not to be talked bad to, not to have violence perpetrated against them. That's why everyone, it doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're male, you're female, you're rich, you're poor, you're drug addicted, prostitute, it does not matter. We're all made in the very image of God and deserving of dignity and respect. And we as followers of the Lord should be the primary people that display that. And it should be our desire that if that person's image has been defaced, that we do like they've done in Mardi Gras and we witness and we hope that the Holy Spirit will draw them and that image will be restored. We're made in the image of God. We're sacred because God breathed life into Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 and 7. And the, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. God created everything. He created the animals, but he didn't breathe breath into them. It was just us that God breathed life into. He gave life to everything. He breathed life into us. And lastly, man was created to have fellowship with God. That's alluded to in the time of the fall. The Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned that God came looking for them in the cool of the day. That would lead us to believe that God had actually been walking with Adam and Eve and having perfect communion with them, but they had sinned and so they were hiding themselves from him. But he's always had a people. He always will have a people. He always will have fellowship with his creation. Exodus 29 and 45. God talking to Moses, he said, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And because Christ has come, that was to the Jewish people, he has engrafted us in. Anyone who puts their trust into Christ, we're all children of God and we will be his eternally. Revelations 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be the be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We're going to be with Lord eternally. We're going to dwell with him eternally. He created us for fellowship, for communion with him. He's had communion with his creation all through the scriptures. The whole scriptures is about redemption, about wanting to be our God and us be his people. And we will do that eternally. And that makes us in our lives sacred. So if life is so sacred, why all the killing in the Bible? Do you know, do you know one of the things that stumps up a lot of Christians is they'll come and, and, and people who will read, you know, they always want to find something that, that is very controversial to stump, stump you with. I, I saw a, uh, a commercial, man, it, it really grieved my spirit. It was by Ron Reagan. It's actually Ronald Reagan's son. And he has a group called the, um, it's some atheist group. I can't remember. It's got an acronym. And they actually did a commercial. And he was talking about his organization, it being an atheist organization. And the way he ended that is he said this, because I'm not afraid of dying and spending eternity in hell. And I was like, wow. So I decided to look up their organization. And you know what they did? They went and they found everything that they could find. Like when God would go in and wipe out entire, he would tell the nation of Israel, kill, kill everybody in there. Because to us, we're like, what kind of sick God is that? That would kill everybody, that would just, just do this. And you, you need to know how to explain these things. You need to know why these types of things happen in the Old Testament. And we'll look at those. But why was killing in the Bible? First, as a, as a punishment for irreverence to God. 
There's a lot of scripture there. I'm not going to read all that. I didn't even give it to Kristen. Kristen, I meant to tell you not to load that up. Don't even put that up. There's a lot of scripture there. I'm going to tell you what they are if you want to study them. It's quite fascinating. This is where God himself instituted the death. Leviticus 10 and 1 through 7, Aaron, a priest, had two sons, Adab and Abihu. And God had said, listen, I'm holy. You only promote, promote me, I mean, approach me a certain way. If you approach me with an irreverent spirit, you can die. Adab, Abihu, the Bible says they got what's called strange fire. They came up. They presented it before God. They were irreverent to him. They were irreverent to his holiness that we sang about. And the Bible says that the fire come out, consumed them, and they died right there. Same is true in Numbers 16, 31 through 35. It's about a, 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 actually some is, Israelis. Korah, Korath was one of them. He led a rebellion against Moses and against God. And Moses said, don't do this. You better, you better uh, respect God's holiness. And he kept being rebellious to God. He kept being rebellious to Moses. And finally Moses said, well, come on. They got in front of the, tab ten, uh, the door of the tabernacle. And Moses told everybody in the congregation, he said, "By stand back away from them. Stand back. And when everybody else stood back, the Bible says that the earth opened up and it swallowed every one of them. Same is true in, in Acts, in Numbers 25, 1 through 18. They were rebellious to God. They had beginning to worship foreign gods. And God told Moses, take all the leaders of the tribes who, who led my people to worship those foreign gods and hang every one of them. And, of course, then there's Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit about what they had actually, money they had actually gotten from, from the sale of land. They went and lied to the apostles, and the Bible said that they died right there. And I know that's hard. You think about that, but church... God is holy. Listen to what our daily bread said. It says sometimes God seems to overreact. In Leviticus 10, we read about people who dropped dead simply because they didn't worship correctly. Priests were threatened with death if they didn't stay well-groomed or if they wandered away from the tabernacle. To modern readers who like to dress casual and live free, all of this sounds a bit stifling. But the aim of this instruction is not to tell us how to dress for church. It tells us about God. It reminds us that God is holy and he is not to be trifled with. God is not a buddy who just wants us to feel comfortable around him. The scriptures do not merely educate us in morality. God didn't give us the Bible to teach us how to be good little boys and girls. Instead, scripture demands that we live respectfully and worshipfully in the awesome presence of the holy God. Without God's holiness, our faith loses its meaning. British theologian P.T. Forsyth wrote, Sin is but the defense of God's holiness. Grace is but its action upon sin. The cross is but its victory, and faith is but its worship. As we sang this morning, angels in the presence of God called to one another, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. If we are believers in Christ, we can join them in that chant. God is not some bloodthirsty God, but he is holy. He is a mighty God and he demands that we reverence him he's given us access to him through his son but that does not mean that he's not any less holy than he was in the Old Testament and churches I worked through this I thought you know well God I wonder why you don't do that and I'm glad don't get me wrong wonder why you don't know stories about this happening to people today and just that quick I thought how do we know that it doesn't and I was reminded when Paul talked to the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper and he said, don't take the Lord's Supper unworthily. In other words, they had made a joke out of this thing. 
they had come and the body and what represented the body and the blood of Jesus, they were not taking that reverently. They were coming in gluttons, filling up, drinking too much of the wine. They made a joke out of it. And Paul stood up and said, some of you are sick and some of you sleep. You die, is what it said, because you don't take this serious. I don't know what's going on up there in the spirit world. I don't think we could take it if the God was to roll us back and let us see it for a little bit. But I know this, when I come into the presence of the Lord, I'm going to respect his presence. And I'm going to be very thankful that he died on that cross and tore that veil so I can come into his presence. But it does not make it any less holy and reverent than it was in the Old Testament. And we're to honor that holiness and that reverence. Killing the Bible was allowed for justice for murdering another human being. Exodus 21, 12 through 14. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. The death penalty was, was part of the Old Testament Mosaic law. And I won't spend a lot of time on that. There was times if it was an accident, if it was an unintended killing, there were cities of refuge they could go to. But the death penalty was executed in the Old Testament. Lastly, in times of war and preserving Israel as a nation and spiritually. 1 Samuel 15, 2 through 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And these are some of those things where people say, man, that's, that's just a, how can that God be just? How can that God be just? He is just, church. That's why he said do this, as justice for what they had done to his people. And killing is allowed. Unfortunately, we're seeing... The, what war looks like played out before our very eyes right now, every day, if you're watching the news. And it's horrific. It is horrific. And killing happened in the Old Testament as war. God told his, his nation, fight these people and destroy them. But it was a just because God is just. And we see what an unjust war looks like as we watch the nation of Russia move into the Ukrainian people and do what they're doing for no good reason. And we have the whole world, including the United States, trying to decide how do we respond to this? Do we want to get drawn in? And at some point, I'm afraid that we will, we're going to get drawn into this and say enough is enough. And then I, I would submit that that would be a just war. And that's the concept of war. Is it just or not just? It's not going to be perfect in our world today because we're not perfect people. But God allowed for killing in the situation of a just war. And it was also to protect that pure line of the nation of Israel where he knew his Messiah would come from. Satan is not all-knowing. All Satan knew in the fall was that God had said that the seed of that woman is going to crush your head. So somehow I think Satan knew coming through that bloodline right there is the one that's going to that's going to destroy me and, my, and the kingdom of darkness. He is the one who's going to put me into the pit forever. And I'm going to do everything I can to stop that Messiah from being born. And that's why they've been after that nation, after that bloodline, for year after year after year. Jonathan Morrow, an author of Questioning the Bible, says this. He says this judgment was necessary because Israel's national survival was crucial so that the Messiah, the Messiah that we know is Jesus and God's saving purposes of redemption to the world, 
could one day be born because if this Messiah is supposed to come through the lineage of Israel and Israel commingled with the wicked people and was ultimately destroyed, the promise of hope and blessing to the whole world could not have been realized. At any point during the Old Testament, if the nation of Israel had been wiped out, we would have never had a Messiah. But we serve a God. His purposes will be fulfilled. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop his purposes for what's happening now. Nothing can stop his purposes for his church. Nothing can stop his purposes for your life. We can't see it. Sometimes we say, God, what are you doing? When I look at the news in the mornings now, I say, God, what are you doing? But he's doing something. He's doing something. He's up to something. So how do we violate this commandment? How do we violate this commandment? First, clearly in homicide, the most... The first murder in the Bible was Genesis 4.8. It says, Now Cain talked with, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. First recorded murder in the Bible. And we see that. I talked about that briefly this morning, how we see murders just seem to be on the increase here in our very nation. However, that doesn't seem to be the biggest problem here within the church and within God's people. I don't see a lot of people, thank goodness, that are going out killing folks, and I'm glad of that. But that is how we violate the commandment. However, there are times there's killings, and it's considered self-defense. The Bible allowed for us to defend ourselves. That is often controversial. That comes up a lot. People want to know, well, can Christians carry weapons? What if, how can a Christian be a soldier? How can a Christian be a police officer? Because of this, because we can defend ourselves. We can fight for a just cause. This came up a lot a couple years ago, a couple, three years ago in Texas. There were some horrific church shootings. And many churches, ours included, have some type of security team. And here's the thing about a church security team. If you've got a church, good church security team, people who come to your church shouldn't know you have a security team. But we have to take those things serious. And the, but the question always rises, well, are we going to have guns in a church? And we gonna, if something like this happens, the, one of them in Texas, a guy had come in. And, you know, we want to be welcoming the people, don't we? The church doors should always be open. I'm not for locking doors. Now, we do after service starts, but there's people there to let folks in as they come in. Particularly back there with our children. We need to protect our children. But the man walked in. He came in. The church folks didn't recognize him. He had a hood over his head. One of the guys went down to just welcome him. He pulled a weapon, he shot him, he shot one more, and then there was a concealed carry holder in the back of the church who was also a firearms trainer. He shot that guy and he killed him right there in the church. And I know that's horrific. And that prompted a lot of discussion in the Christian community. I listened to it. Steve Noble, a, a, a Christian talk show host here in this area, had a whole call-in show on it. Is this justified? What's the Christian to do in these situations? And he had Danny Aiken on his show one day, and, and they were talking about this. And Danny Aiken said something that I, I had never heard before, but I really agreed with him. He said, we do have the right as Christians to defend ourselves against the wickedness of one person's heart. That's one person who's come in to hurt you or your family or members of this church. And as Christians, we can protect ourselves. But he said, when it comes to being persecuted or taken away for the cause of the gospel, we are to submit to submit. When they came to get Jesus, Peter did what? He took a, he took a sword out and cut the dude's ear. Peter, Jesus said, no. No, he picked the ear up and he put it back on. You say, how do you know the difference? We'll know the difference. We see in nations today where preachers are being arrested 
for preaching the gospel. They're to submit to that. That runs against my flesh, by the way. I want to say, if Pastor Don's up here and somebody comes in to arrest him, I want to say, you're coming through me to do that, because that's not happening. But the scriptures say we submit for that greater cause of Christ. Suicide. Many of those in the Bible, Matthew 27 and 5, Judas had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was convicted of that, and the Bible says in Matthew 27, 5, he went back to the Pharisees, and he said he threw down the pieces of silver in the, in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Suicide. There's 130 suicides per day. It's the third leading cause among teens. One of the most heartbreaking things that I have ever personally witnessed in my life Tammy and I used to work with the youth of this church years ago when we were a little bit younger, and we would go to the Ford Conference, Brother Michael, and they still take kids to that. And this has been many years ago, and that place has probably got 9,000 teenagers in it, and a man by the name of Reggie Dabbs was speaking. And he got up, and he was talking about this issue. And when he got done, he said, I want the moms of Free Chapel, who is the church that Jensen Franklin pastors that puts this on, he said, I want the moms of Free Chapel to come down and stand around this altar. And he said this, he said, if you're a young person here today and you in, have thought about ending your life or harming yourself, I want you to get up and I want you to come down here and let us pray for you. And I began to look around that auditorium and I thought there might be a handful of people come down. I want to tell you, church, hundreds of kids streamed down those aisles. And I couldn't stupid nothing but stand there with a lump in my throat and a tear running down my eye. And I thought there are parents somewhere around this country that have no idea that their child is thinking about hurting themselves. And they went down there and those mothers prayed for them and, and loved on them. And it's a tragedy. And there are many who, let me say this, suicide is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is probably the most demonic spiritual warfare that you will face. And there are some people who will tell you that it's a, a one-way ticket to hell. I don't believe that. I know God's just, and I leave some of these things in the justice of God's hands. But I also know that the church, particularly the Pentecostal church for many years, hasn't done a real good job understanding that there is mental illness. There is true mental illness, and it is much of the fall as cancer. But I think there'd be times we'd say, well, if you had enough of the Holy Spirit and you wouldn't be struggling with depression, you wouldn't be like this, you wouldn't be like this. But we wouldn't go to someone and say, well, if you had enough of the Holy Ghost, you wouldn't be dealing with cancer. Now, I know there's some word of faith people that do that, folks, but we live in this fallen world, and mental illness is part of that. And I can't tell you that a person who takes their own life goes directly to hell, but, I, church, I can't tell you they take their own life if they go directly to heaven either. And so what I'll leave you with in this is that if there's anybody in here, particularly a young person, you've ever thought about this, please let us love on you. Let us pray for you. Let us put anointed hands on you. And let the power of the Holy Spirit come around you. And let people know how you're feeling. That's for young people and adults. I've been on suicide scenes. I've seen what it does to families. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. Euthanasia. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. The most popular person that made that popular was Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Some of you will remember that name. He was assisting people who were terminally ill and ending their lives. However, this is not to include just saying, look, I'm not taking that treatment anymore. I'm not doing that anymore and letting the natural death process take its life. Actual euthanasia is illegal in the United States. But there are many people pushing that want to make it where we can do that. 
Some countries it's legal. Abortion. Now, I said last week was a hot button issues that I dealt with. This is probably the most hot button issue in our culture today facing the church is the issue of abortion. But you know what has helped us so much in that church is some of the things that really a lot of times the culture uses against the church. One of the things that has really helped us in that is science. Have you seen the, the uh, ultrasounds today? They are incredible. When, when Tammy, when we had our ultrasounds for our boys, and you ladies have been pregnant, you know, they, they, they put that grease on there and they rub that thing around. And they have a TV and this picture comes up. Well, well when it was my boys, the picture came up and they're like, oh, there's his leg and there's his, I'm like, I don't see it. I mean, do you get better reception on this thing? I couldn't see anything. I saw a little blob is all I could see. But then technology, science got better. And several years ago, a, a female investigator was working for me. She came in and she said, you want to see my ultrasound? I said, yeah. She showed it to me and I was like, whoa, I'd never seen a 3D ultrasound. You could see what the baby looked like. It was incredible. And then when our little grandbaby, Augie, was born, we got to go to this place, and it was like theater seating. We went in. It was like a movie theater. They sat us in there, and there was a big screen TV, and they, they still use that same cold jelly, I guess, and that stuff. And they're rubbing, and they can move the baby around in different things and get different looks. You could tell exactly what he was going to look like. That is not a blob of cells in there. That is a human life in there. And it started at conception. Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Every single child is made in the image of God from the moment they're conceived. And they, have a, they should have a chance to live. Matter of fact, the first human that reacted to Christ was John the Baptist when he was in Elizabeth's womb. The Bible said he got into the presence of, when she came into the presence of Mary, that her babe leaped in her womb in the presence of God. There's been 63 million abortions since Roe. And as we, we support PSS here, and Brother Matt Fisher's brother started a large pro-life organization and ran it for years and years. And on a Sanctity of Life Sunday, one Sunday he was up here and he said something I never forgot. He said, abortion really isn't a women's issue. It's a man's issue. And if we had men doing like they're supposed to be doing, we wouldn't have all the abortions we have today. I've spoken to some of the people who work the abortion clinics, and I'd like to see us get an abortion clinic ministry here. Not the signs and stuff, church. Just there to let people know there's another way. There's people who love you. There's people who will pray for you. But what he did say, he said, the men will drive up the women will get out, and you guess what, guess what he does? He sits out in the car. And I think, what a coward. What a coward. It's time for men to step up and address this issue. And our society, thank God those things are coming down. I think it is because of science, but I think there's been a lot of work on the forefront of that. But before I leave that issue, I want to say again that statistics says that almost 25%, almost one in four of women under the age of 45 will have had abortions by the time they're age of 45. That's high. So it could be a possibility that somebody sitting under the sound of my voice has or thought about it or somebody who's watching online. I will just say to you once again, please talk to some of these godly women. Let them love you. Let them walk through this with you. There is another way. There is 
another way. And that should be our desire. And then lastly, and most commonly, hatred for our fellow man. Hatred for our fellow man. I said many times that you'll hear with the words of Jesus. Jesus will say, you've heard it written, or you've seen it written, but I say to you. Well, this is another one of those instances in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. I tried to do a, uh, I did a real search on Raka and and fool, we understand fool a little bit, but what does it mean? That what, what was Jesus saying? We, we read that and sometimes I think, we don't really know, what, what's he saying there? Raka has no good Greek to English equivalent. But what it is like, back then it would have been calling someone vain, like an airhead, empty, worthless. That's the best they can come up with. But in essence, church, what it is, it's, it's anything that you say that attacks that person's dignity and self-worth. Think about the words we use today. That's stupid. You're stupid. You're an idiot. You're whatever. Racial slurs. Anything that we use that attacks that person's dignity would fall into that category of raka. And we're an, whether you know it or not, we're an angry culture. People are angry, and Satan is fueling it. And it's hard. I'm telling you, it's been hard for me. But it's not for us to get sucked into that and start attacking people. Verbally. Now, it doesn't mean we can't make a cause for our case. The Bible says, become angry and sin not. There's righteous anger. But righteous anger does not spill into then to start attacking people and saying things, hurtful things to people. That's why the Bible talks so much about our words and about our tongue. We can tear each other down with our words. We can tear our spouses down. We can tear our church members down. We can tear down our children, whether it's gossip, whatever it is. But anything that, that boils up into us to the point that we become angry and begin to attack people personally. And the same is the same with fool. I wrote this down. I said, we murder and our tongue is our weapon. And Jesus said, when you do that, you might as well took a gun and shot them. And we're all at times guilty of that. We are. I mean, sometimes we do things. People can, can people make you angry? Boy, people can make you angry. But what helps with that is staying in the word, staying in that worship, and don't let, don't let that thing get into your spirit. Don't let that, that, that division. Our society and the devil is dividing our culture on race. He is dividing our culture on politics. He is dividing our culture on class. And that's what we've always, we're divided on those things a little bit. But what happens is people are getting angry. And they're attacking each other. And I expect that out of the world. I know it's going to happen in the church, but it's something we should repent on, repent of, and love our fellow man. So how do we keep the commandment? Brother Matt, your team can come on up. How do we keep this commandment? By biblically explaining why life is sacred. 
like I said, I'm not opposed to the signs. I'm not opposed to people getting angry because there's abortions happening. But rather than getting out there and holding a sign with, an, a, with, a, with a murdered child, maybe when that conversation comes up, maybe be able to say, the reason I don't agree with that is because that baby was formed before the womb. That baby is made in the very image of God. That's an image bearer of God. Make that argument. Make that biblical argument before you jump into the cultural talking points. That's why. So you, you can say, look, as you talk to them, you were made in the image of God. When I look into your eyes, I see the image of God. And you bear his image. Biblically explain why life is sacred. Supporting causes and organizations that promote life. We have PSS here, Pregnancy Support Services. It is our local uh, organization that is the Right to Life organization. They provide free uh, ultrasounds, free counseling, both to women and to men. See what, see what the world will tell you. They'll tell you, hey, it's your body. It's your right to choose all this. Okay. But what they will not tell you is about the immense guilt that will be carried with that for years. They won't tell you about that. Another call-in show I was listening to a few years ago, they had women calling in and telling about the experiences and how they had carried just such guilt over this. But I'm going to tell you, just like before, last week, you let the waves of grace roll. There's nothing God won't forgive you of, including that. But they carry guilt. Nobody's going to tell you that. But a man called into that show. He sounded by his voice. He sounded a bit older. And he started telling his story, and he just began not to cry, but to sob. And, and, and it was a, 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 the radio host was Michael Brown, and he was trying to talk to him. And finally, the guy just said, he just said, please tell people don't do this. And he hung the phone up. It was a man. Men carry the guilt. Men carry the guilt. So support life. Support organizations that support life. Vote life. Oh, no, no, please don't go to voting. The church should vote on biblical principles. That's why we're in the mess we're in now, because we haven't stood up for what the scriptures say about these issues. And I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but I'll never go into a ballot box and, and circle anybody's name in that promotes abortion. I will not do that. I can't do that. And I'm not perfect, but I can't do that. So let's support causes that promote life. Then lastly, let's love people. The, one of the hardest things Jesus said, he said, hey, love those that hate you. Pray for those that persecute you. That is a very difficult command. But he did, it wasn't a suggestion. He meant it. He said, look, people hate you. They, those folks on the street they, that, that were witnessing that, they said they, people hate them. They, they make fun of them, throw things at them. Well, guess what? They crucified Jesus. They're going to hate us. Do we hate them back? No. We love them. We love them. Now, I might not love them in the moment. Let me say that. And there's been times I've had to get out of a situation and say, Lord, just forgive me for what I just had running through my head. But I do get away and say, God, forgive me. I can't let my heart get there, Lord. I can't, let my, I can't get bitter. I can't get angry toward your image bearers. Just understand they're sinful people, and you love them and you died for them. And that's what we do. Here's what I want to do this morning. If everyone will stand. I've asked Matt if, if his team will sing, I Speak Jesus. 
And I don't know what's going on in your life. I am going to ask Sister Carol to come down. And I'm going to ask uh, Linda and Sister Teresa to gather around her. If you're here this morning and you've been angry, there's something in your past that just you can't seem to turn loose of. There's things going on in your family that concern you. As they sing this song, I Speak Jesus, I want you to come down and we're going to gather around you and we're just going to pray for you. And we're going to help you speak Jesus over your situation. We're going to help just speak Jesus over your situation. Folks, he's still a, a circumstance-changing God. He's still a healing God. He's still a delivering God. And he's still a God of peace. The Bible says be anxious, but don't worry about nothing. And we do, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Make your request known to the Lord. You have a request this morning? Come down here by prayer and supplication. Make your request known around the saints. And then he says this, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you won't even understand it, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And some of you have experienced that. And so as they start to sing the song, I'm going to ask if you have, if you want prayer, come on down. And we have some men that will gather around you. And we have some women that will gather around the women. And let us know. Say, this is what, Brother Larry, I'm dealing with. I need Jesus in this situation. Brother Matt. Everyone come down and gather around the altar. And we're going to close right here around the altar. And they're going to sing that again. And I'm, I'm going to say a closing prayer. And you can spend some time around the altar just fellowshipping after we're done. And, but what I want to pray against and what, what, what really was in my spirit this morning as I worked on this a little bit more is this, the spirit of just anxiety, the spirit of despondency. That, that whole thing of suicide just went through my spirit like crazy. People are, people are hurting. They, they see so much negative. Families are broken down. And... and we hide behind a, a mask, a facade. Many times that facade's called Facebook. We put it out there. We look at my family, look how great everything's going, but behind the scenes, it really isn't. And we're, we're too strong, particularly as men, to ask for help. And so I'm just going to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to give peace in whatever circumstance you might be dealing with. And then as after I finish praying, they're going to sing this song again. And whatever your situation might be that maybe you didn't want to raise your hand over, I just pray that you speak Jesus over it. I couldn't help but think about the story in the Bible where Jesus stepped onto the shores. There was a madman there. The Bible said he'd been cutting himself. You know our kids cut themselves today? And nobody could tame him. Nobody could do anything with him. And he said, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Let me tell you something. When, you, when he steps on the shores of your life, I don't know what demon you might be dealing with. I don't know what demon might be tormenting you, but he has to go. He's got to go. The Bible says when Jesus left that man, he was clothed, sitting and in his right mind. He's still able to do that today. He's able to do that for you. So I don't know what you're dealing with, but there's some people in this church that are dealing with things. And I just challenge you to speak Jesus over. Father, I just come. I thank you for your presence that's been in this place. I thank you for your anointing. God, as Pastor Tony Evans said, what we call addictions, the Bible calls strongholds. And you said that our weapons are warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in you to pull them down. And I want to join with my church this morning. I want to pull down the strongholds, God, of addiction. I want to pull down the strongholds of demonic oppression. 
I want to pull down the stronghold of suicide. God, I want to pull down the stronghold of abortion. And God, I ask, Lord, that as we begin to sing this song again, that you send your Holy Spirit and we begin to worship you. Lord, you said you live in our worship. And I pray that we, as we gather closer together, we won't be inhibited. We won't think, well, look, I don't know what the person next to me is going to think. I pray, Lord, that we just lift our hands and worship your name. And speak Jesus over our families, over our workplace, over our society, over our nation, over our world. And not only do we speak it, God, we go out and we influence it. In Jesus' name.